Welcome to the Perp Web Podcast, hosted by Joe Bosch. John, you've got one more new technology. Um, yeah, it's going to be quick. And it's on you. It's, it's, it'll, it'll be, it's going to be a short one, so you guys will like <laughs> Good, good. Yeah. We're only 15 minutes behind. We're good. Uh, that's okay. The world will still be here when we're done. All right, you can put the slides up. So, Joe, this is interesting because you just did that Nautilus M3, uh, MC3 oxygenator, and this is uh, amazing because I didn't realize you were going to actually talk about that. And this is a, a fairly similar thing that's just come out by Abiomed. Again, I don't own stock in the company. The rep didn't buy me dinner. In fact, I don't even know the rep's name. I don't get involved with that at our institution. Um, but we did get some of these in about six weeks ago. We've yet to use one. And the reps told us during their three days of clinical education that we were the sixth center in the country to even get these. I don't know if that's exactly true, but that's what they said. So this is what it looks like. There's a console there. You can wheel it around. It can mount it on an IV pole. Let's take a look closer. And um, so um, this, is, this is how it looks. Go back a slide or two, guys. I don't know what you skipped there real quick, but um, it's progressing. <laughs> so basically, you have a, a console. It's basically designed for mobility. And it does hook up uh, gas lines and, and drive lines and stuff to to the mounted bracket there. Go ahead. And um, I'm not sure the order of the slides is doing that, but okay. So basically, um, you can see there that um, you have the venous and arterial line that go into it. And that's what the unit does. You can pop up the handle and go with it. Huh. Okay, so this is a video, okay? Yeah. So it goes into a sophisticated bracket. As a centrifugal pump built in with the oxygenator, and the flow sensors are right there on the outflow line on the arterial, nothing on the venous. The blood flow comes into the pump as our as venous blood, then it's pumped into the oxygenator through the center. The, the oxygen goes from the uh, outside of the membrane to the inside, and you end up with uh, arterialized blood coming out. That's how it looks like on a cutaway. You have your gas flow that comes in and, and as your blood flow comes in from the sides. And you can see there, there's actually a two-phase oxygen sweep system we're going to talk about briefly. It, it's a two-phase system, one primarily for sweep, one primarily for oxygenation. And so you end up with a very simple system. You close it into that uh, mounted smart bracket, and, uh, and basically off you go. So basically, we'll look at it a little bit closer with an overview and the functions and a little bit about this specialized gas uh, feature that they have on this machine. So they call their, their, their oxygenator the integrated, they call it the pump lung unit, okay? And there's something on there called an innovative gas technology. We're going to talk about where there's a two-phase, two lines, two gas lines that go to the oxygenator, not just one. Go ahead, guys. They call it the breathe system. This is what it looks like a little bit closer. So they call their oxygenator the pump lung unit, and there's a pump driver there that's mounted on a smart bracket. It does come with a hand crank. They call it E-drive in case of a failure. They call the, uh, the, the disposable, the, the pump lung unit disposable, or PLU disposable. And this is meant to be the simplest. They went all out to try to make this the simplest ECMO system they could possibly think of. And, and when you see what's on the screen, you're going to see how simple this is. 
It has its own internal gas supply. It makes its own oxygen. Not with it's not a backup tank or anything like that. It can make oxygen from room air in case there's any failure of the blender or you run out of your O2 tank. The battery life is three hours and it has nice rollers on it as well. Go it ahead. has an oxygen generator. You know, like those ox what? like an oxygen generator, so, like you yeah. have uh, people walk around with that yeah. need supplemental oxygen. Yes. Right, it has that, it has that job. It can make unlimited, as long as it's plugged in or the battery's running, unlimited oxygen it can make on its own. So you pop the disposable unit into this uh, smart bracket driver, and as you can see there, it's a centrifugal pump in the back, immediately up against the oxygenator. So basically they are in tandem, and uh, are in series really. And then um, you have something called a condensation tray. There's no heater cooler with this. There's no heat exchanger, you'll notice with that. And it, as far as condensation goes, all of our oxygenators we're used to using have a drip, drip, drip. This doesn't do that because when it drips down, this has a condensation sponge and a tray there that absorbs all the condensation. And that sponge will last a very long time. If it ever gets saturated, you pull that little condensation tray out and replace the sponge. But it can last for many days. So you don't have any condensation dripping and you have no water lines. So basically, again, you see where the centrifugal pump would sit, and that's a magnetic uh, RPM driver there. And you see there's ultrasonic flow sensor bubbling sectors on the outlet, only on the arterial outlet, by the way, nothing on the venous. There's nothing detecting venous bubbles or saturation or anything like that. And then on the console itself, they're showing you how you would connect two separate gas lines along with the driver line. So again, that's what you see now. This is how simple it is. You basically, when you prime it, it's going to be just like a bag priming circuit with a bag. You fill the bag. You let the, the, the venous line drop all the way around. You hold this in your hand. You, 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 you twirl it around, get the air out, pop it into the uh, smart bracket, and go with the RPMs for a while. And if you want lower port access or you want pre and post membrane pressures, you have to open these accesses lines there and hook them up yourself. This is what it looks like, again, from the side. You see it's going to take the blood from the outside of the membrane to the inside. It's a cylindrical oxygenator, Joe. So you'll love the fact that it doesn't have any corners. It is a PMP, polymethylene fibers, but it is non-coated. This is a non-coated system, the tubing and the membrane, and also without a heat exchanger, as I said. And then there's about 12 feet of tubing on the venous and oxygen side. So pretty long tubing there. So this is what's interesting. You have two different types of way to deliver gas to the oxygenator. The external would be your blender or an oxygen tank. And by the way, your green oxygen line from your blender, you do not connect it to the oxygenator. You connect it to the console, and then the console uh, air and oxygen lines connect to the oxygenator. So when you connect an external gas source like your blender or an O2 tank, the console is nothing more than a very large connector at that point, but you do not connect it directly to the oxygenator. In the case that the external gas mode fails, there's a backup internal gas delivery system that is automatically activated when the external gas flow is interrupted. And it makes, like you said, Joe, unlimited amount of oxygen from the room air as long as the, the, the console is plugged in and running. At three liters per minute. At three liters per minute, yeah. But that's so only you that's enough for emergency. What's interesting right. is when you connect your external gas supply to the tank, or a membrane, it essentially functions exactly the same as any other oxygenator, even though it has two air inflow lines. When it's on, um, 
when it's on the uh, internal mode, when the machine itself is making the air and oxygen, then does it does it do something separate on the two air and oxygen lines? One is heavily 100% oxygen, and the other one's an air-oxygen mix. But bottom line is, it works and acts the same from our standpoint as any other system we've used. If you want to increase, uh, if you want to uh, decrease your CO2, you increase the sweep. If you want to increase oxygenation, you increase the FiO2. So even though there's a two-phase system here, for all practical purposes, it's interesting to talk about, but it operates the same from the standpoint of a perfusion. So real quick about the console. Uh, it's basically as simple as it can it get. It only monitors uh, RPMs, liters per minute. It has a bubble detection on the arterial side only. If you get air into the, get, into the venous side, the only way you're going to know it is that the pump is going to fall with air and your flow is going to drop and your low flow alarm is going to go off. That's the only way you're going to know you have, you have venous air. You have a three-hour battery. Go ahead, guys. And this is how simple it gets on the screen, Joe. Look at this. This is your home screen. Blood flow, RPMs, and is my gas on? That's it. That's the whole thing you get on the home screen. It shows you if you're on internal gas, meaning the machine's making its own, or if you have an external source, it shows you that you have external source. This is the home screen right here. And if you leave the screen alone for 30 seconds, it locks on its own so nobody could ever come up and touch it once you walk away without unlocking the screen. <clears throat> So the blood flow is the same, controlled by RPM. It's measured by the flow detector. You have upper and lower uh, alarm limits for blood flow. And you can adjust the RPMs just like you did with the up and down arrows that I was showing you. The RPM ranges as high as 4,500 RPMs. And it goes up in increments of 50 RPMs every time you hit the up arrow. <clears throat> so here again, you see if there's an alarm that comes up, it highlights in yellow. It tells you sort of what the problem would be. And you can adjust the sound of your alarm, too. It's allowed or, or, uh, or soft. You can also adjust the bubble alarm limit for smaller or larger, or larger bubbles, just like we do on our, some of our hard lung machines, <clears throat> where you can sensitize the bubble detector. So there here, uh, again, uh, once you um, walk away from the screen, it locks, or you can manually lock it and manually unlock the screen. The sweep gas, as I said, you can have an internal source coming from the machine itself or an external source whereby you hook up your green line directly to the console and it's delivered to the auctioneer that way. So it's talking about the flow range, like you said, Joe, up to three liters a minute it can produce in gas flow on its own. And you increment it up or down by 0.5 liters a minute. And you can see there's an air and an oxygen setting on that. So basically, um, you, it has a self-side process, by the way. You don't need to side this oxygenator yourself. Every, I think it's every eight hours, if I'm not mistaken, but you can program it. The machine will self-side the oxygenator, and it takes two to two minutes for the sign process to be complete. But if nobody touches this oxygenator or system, it will side itself. I believe it's every eight hours. For, it's a two-minute process, and the screen will tell you that it's doing that. It'll tell you where it's at in the sign process. And basically, that's a, another look at it for the absorbent disc for the, uh, for the condensation tray. You just monitor it for saturation. It comes with an uh, external drive. Go ahead. It comes with an external drive crank in case there's a, a failure. Same thing that you're used to with the other ones. It just shows you RPM on the screen on the top of the driver as you're hand cranking it. 
And I think that is the end of that. There you go, guys. Thank you so much. Excellent. Good That's work, great. John. Yeah. Good work. So Very good. Um, what about this question? We have a question. Can you actively warm or cool with this breed, breed yeah. unit? Um, and the reason that this person asked is that they actively cool eCPR patients, which makes sense, and have, have had a couple of accidental hypothermic rewarm slash resuscitations with, uh, with ECMO. Well, as I was uh, sort of saying there, there's, there's, this, is, this has got to be the simplest ECMO uh, system uh, ever. It, it, they, they, they tried to do that. And, and by simplifying it, they eliminated, uh, there's no heat exchangers. There's no hooking up of a heater cooler. So if you have to cold uh, code cool, or if you have to, a patient that's septic and you want to cool them, or if you have a patient that's cold and you want to rewarm them, you're not doing it with the oxygenator. You're going to have to figure out another way. So that is a drawback. In addition to the fact that there's no um, bio-coding, which is coming, they are going to have that in a future edition, they said it is coming, but right now they wanted to release it, there's no bio-coding, and basically, um, you know, they just wanted to make it a pretty simple system. So between what you showed there, Joe, with that Nautilus system, which was also pretty simple, self-contained and, uh, you know, looked pretty easy, um, this is what seems to be coming out, I guess, as a competition to the complexities, I guess you could say, of the cardiology. Yeah, well, I think that, yeah, that's true. Um, and uh, this certainly, you know, I don't know if that would even, I don't know if that would be a good transport model. I really can't, there's no reference, so I don't know how big or small it really is. But it brings up a larger issue, and, and we'll just maybe discuss it for two or three minutes, uh, because I think we need to, to move on, have a break. I think Deb and, and, and Ann are here as well. Um, but, you know, where are we going with all of this? In other words, when I looked at your system, you know, we don't have to go back and look at the pictures. I noticed that there were no, I didn't see any, any, any as far as I was, could see, any access ports. So what do you do if you need to integrate CRRT into it? There are? There were two access ports, but they're optional, and you have to hook them they're, up during priming. They're optional, you have to hook them up during priming. Okay, so I didn't see that. Um, what if you need to go V-VA? or V-VV, how do you, what happens when you cut into this system? Is it the same as the other one? Oh, you void the, um, the manufacturer's you, Well, any protection, well, is that the case, You're going to cut that into your arterial line. You're going to wire your arterial line if you're going to do that. So that's like any other system. But Joe, you have no temperature probes. You have, you have no pre and post membrane pressures, unless you use the ports that are there to you know, hook up a tubing, flush a transducer and hook them up yourself. You have no venous bubble, no venous saturation. You just have an arterial bubble, arterial flow. And so they try, when we ask where this is going, the manufacturers have decided ECMO is everywhere. Let's make it so simple, like they try to do everything else, like the balloon pump and the cell saver, where it's one button and anybody can run it. Mm -hmm. Okay, this is what it looks like to me. And uh, I guess we'll have to see how all this works out. And, you know, and you're, you, again, you just brought up, I think, the point, and I think that's also the point that's bring, being brought up by one of our uh, uh, listeners online, is that they are doing everything they can to simplify a very complicated process. ECMO is not, is not, is not a CRRT. ECMO is not a balloon pump. Now, 
with that said, and to be fair, back in the old days, the balloon pump was managed by perfusionist yep. at the bedside, and I understand that we have to progress, right, in life. We have to become, we have to continue to evolve, make things simpler, make things better, make things, you know, all that stuff. It's very important and increase the numbers of patients who can be treated for things. But I think what's happened, at least this is my perspective, is that this latest pandemic has created a surge of flooding the market with these potentially good ideas once thought through and dealt with, et cetera, but using marketing tools to try and create an atmosphere or an illusion of simplicity when it really isn't that simple. I mean, just selecting an ECMO patient itself is very, very complex. So I, I don't know. I. I don't feel necessarily really good about that. It looked very good. The diagrams look great. Everything always looks great until you actually see it being used. Well, I think simplifying things is always a good idea because there's usually safety measures involved in that. However, simplifying it down to not having good functionality or promoting that you don't need to be um, a trained clinician to use it is dangerous mm -hmm. and uh, I think we, we've seen this before what was it maybe uh, I don't know 15 years ago uh, device came out it was going to be uh, you know uh, the, what was it the, uh, the first generation of the tandem heart and it was going to revolutionize everything because it was so simple yes I remember and they still say that but my point is, is it didn't really pan out that way, right? It didn't end up, we had it in a hospital I was working in, and it was going to be perfusionist put it in and then never look at it again. It was going to be monitored by the bedside nurse. In reality, that didn't really work out well, and perfusion was still involved because it was not really that simple and had issues and those sorts mm -hmm. of things. So I think I'm always hesitant with new devices um, promoting themselves as being so simple. Mm -hmm because that's not really where we want to go. These are life support devices. Yes, and when it goes wrong, it goes horribly wrong. I mean, right. so yeah, you can hand crank the thing, but as uh, I think John was saying, you get air in the venous side and you have to get it out because of an oops or you have to change it in the middle of the night or whatever yeah. it may be. Um, those are, you know, we got clot. Remember, uh, we had a patient with clot in the inflow of our centrifugal pump um, and uh, the pump was decoupling, and it was, you know, quite traumatic, but we got it taken care of. And, and, but you have to be able to identify these things extremely you know, fast and, just, and know what you're doing. And going back to the whole heater cooler fiasco that, you know, occurred some years ago, not being able to see your device and see what's going on inside of it is yes. not always the best thing. That's a very good point, too. Um, Eric, uh, one of our listeners, says um, he agrees with with uh, with uh, with Jim that is Jim's comment is is this trend a consequence of limited staffing by perfusion <laughs> and Eric says that's the crux of the entire discussion Agreed. so I agree with Jeff I agree with Eric a hundred percent John what say you yeah um, the, 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 the obvious the obvious uh, appearance is that um, we don't have enough perfusionists. It's very complicated, very, very, very complicated. Let's make it so simple, so all of a sudden, 
we can market this to ICU nurses and we can market this to whoever. They didn't say that, but if you look at this device, it's almost so simple, it's almost, it's almost laughable. There's one knob, I mean, actually there's no knobs. There's a knob to turn up and down the RPM and there's a screen that tells you what's alarming and there's soft alarms with a yellow that tells you, hey, this might be happening. And there's a red alarm, which basically all that is, is your battery's dying or your air bubble and your arterial line has gone off. Now, in order to do anything with this, did you see the bracket, how it's embraced in there like this big metal? If you're going to get air out of that thing, you have to turn it off, take it out of the bracket, and try to manipulate the pump and the oxygenator somehow, some way. I don't know where the air is going to go unless you've hooked up uh, some type of discharge ports where you can pull the air out of, like we do with our others. Uh, I don't know where the air is going to go, and I don't know how you're going to get it out. But, well, Tammy uh, and I were doing a case not too terribly long ago, yeah. and I won't go, I won't belabor it, but it was a VA ECMO, and the surgeon, um, you know, for some inexplicable reason, pulled the venous cannula out, and of course, you know, it just filled with air, and he stuck it back in. He and, stuck it and, right back in. Yeah, and, but... he, and he's like, well, that doesn't matter. It's just some air. Just walk it through. He, he didn't quite understand the gravity of the situation. Now, we have our own system that we use. Had I been using this, I don't think the patient would have survived. They were completely ECMO-dependent. Um, we just happened, and I guess this is just, I'll pat, uh, I'll pat you on the back, that I think it just comes down to having the experience to know, to guess the right thing to do at the right moment. And then uh, Jeff also said, I've seen massive air entrainment and thrombus ingestion as well. Yeah. So these are real problems. Um, and I think this is becoming a industry versus industry, that meaning manufacturers versus clinician uh, battle. And we're going to see where it all plays out. But I know they're, they're in the market to sell widgets, and we're in the market to uh, choose the widgets that we feel are in the best interest of overall patient care and safety. Mm -hmm. And those two don't always align each other. So those are harsh realities of, uh, of capitalistic medicine that we have to accept. Agreed. Now there's downsides to socialist medicine as well, which is a lack of innovation. So we're the gatekeepers, sort of, of what's right and what's not right here, and we have to take that very seriously. So, Joe, I'll just, I'll just, I'll just throw something on the opposite side of the fence back out to you. A lot of people are probably thinking, well, wait a second, we don't use CardioHub. We use CMAG and Quadrox or some other uh, centripetal pump and Quadrox, and we have no monitors on that either. We don't know what our negative P is and delta P is and pressures, and, we're, and we don't know anything. We just, unless we hook up a temperature probe or a purge line, to the quadrox, we're just running as simple as it gets. And uh, this is what they've kind of gone back to, in a way. So I guess, you know, what would you say to that? Well, I, I think that goes back to the statement I've already said. I think simple is good. Less complicated is good. But you still need to have functionality. And things that are marketed, uh, idiot-proof, if you will, I think are dangerous. These are life support devices, mm -hmm. and you that's not the first thing you need to say is that anybody can do it. And I know that's not what they're saying, but that does seem uh, the direction that we seem to be going. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Agreed, 100%. Yeah, yeah. And I don't want to belabor them. See, we're belaboring all of these points. I, say, <laughs> we, I always I say want I don't to want to belabor the point, <laughs> but I keep belaboring the point, um, even though we need to go to break. 
But I do um, think this device is really innovative with uh, creating its own oxygen. I think that's incredible. Yeah, absolutely. So it, you're, everyone is, it is. I think actually, I think that's a really smart idea that we maybe should be doing absolutely. with our systems anyway, right? Agreed. And coming up with some way to do that just in every system as a separate uh, distinct device. But you know, you you uh, uh, we were talking about what the hell were we talking about? I lost the train of thought. Damn <laughs> I don't it. know. I do that all the time. I hate that. I think maybe um, we were gonna wrap this up because we're over yeah. Time. Let's just wrap it up. <laughs> I had I had some thoughts about all of this, but you know what? The thought just left me. We're gonna go to break. Uh, we're gonna take about 10, 15 minutes. Uh, John, are you gonna be you're gonna be rejoining us, right? Yeah. So we've got Debbie Adams and we have Ann Grecho. And we're going to have a great second half of all of this. So if uh, you all would just give us about 10 or 15 minutes to get our act together here, we will uh, we'll come back and we'll get the second half of the day's program done. Let me just see what Eric's. The only other real driver is ECMO reimbursement. Hospitals are less willing to pay. Oh, yeah, I forgot to ask. That's a good question. Oh, yeah. Um, that's a very good point, Eric. What is the cost of this breathe device? I didn't even ask. Do you know? No, I don't know. I would have, I, I'm curious to the, so, so, so we'll find all of that out. You know what? We're going to come back and we're going to revisit this topic, uh, John, because you're an ECMO specialist. You, 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 not, you're a perfusionist, but you are a, 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 an expert at ECMO. Yes. And we're going to talk. In fact, I think Matt's going to give a talk very similar to this coming up, but I'd like you to give the talk where I'm going to give you a couple of hours. <laughs> to talk about the devices, the cost, the advantages, the disadvantages. Do an overview. And, 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 and yes, and also the philosophical argument that is going on constantly about in the political landscape of who should be doing this, how should it be being done, who shouldn't be doing this, and why. I think these are really great discussions and it'd be worth a, I think it would be worth a two or three hour session just on that. Yeah. You get two hours, 59 minutes, and I can have one. <laughs> well, I think you'd be, uh, you'd be remiss if you didn't ask uh, Deb and maybe Ann to be a part of that because they would be, they would be stellar in, in answering some of those things about you know, what you just said. I think so, too, especially from an ethical perspective mm -hmm. because both of them have, very, uh, 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 they have a high degree of knowledge mm. in the ethics, healthcare ethics, Sort of thing. In fact, Deb Adams was the uh, director of the uh, of AMSEX Ethics Committee oh. at one time. So I think her and Anne, of course, with her involvement with STS, I think they're both uh, very knowledgeable on healthcare ethics because it is unique uh, to a lot of other things. Okay.